this is Meet the Writers. I'm Georgina Godwin. My guest today is one of Ukraine's most renowned contemporary writers. She burst onto her country's literary scene in 1996 with her hugely controversial debut novel, Fieldwork in Ukrainian Sex, on sexuality and national identity. It's been dubbed the Bible of Ukrainian Feminism and is today the most widely translated work of new Ukrainian prose in the world, having been published in 16 languages. She's since written more than 20 books, as well as poetry and short stories. She's a patron of the Ukrainian Institute in London and a former vice president of Ukrainian Pen. My guest learnt that Russia had launched a full-scale invasion of her country whilst on a visit to Poland. She spent the last year in Poland and touring Europe, an experience which inspired her latest book, My Longest Book Tour. It's a personal account of exile and an historical perspective on the war for a Western audience. Oksana Zabushko, welcome to Meet the Writers. Thank you very much. It's, Hello, everybody. It's such a pleasure to have you. You are such a huge name in Ukrainian writing uh, and Thank indeed you. throughout the world. I think you are possibly the most read Ukrainian writer outside of your country. Well, I don't know. There used to be three of us uh, that is like, you know, with all this uh, minor literature, so to speak, you always have a set of token authors that are more or less internationally known for those who are interested in that country at all you mm. know, in, and in its literature. Uh, so there, there used to be three of us. Uh, that is uh, Serhii Zhadan, uh, Andrei Kurkov, who writes in Russian, and myself. Uh, well, nowadays the things are much better and you don't have names when it comes to the Ukrainian literature, but you have an avalanche of names and you have literature. The classics, the dead authors included. So this has changed uh, in the past year. I want to talk about your upbringing and your sense of Ukrainian identity, because really that is at the heart of very much what's going on at the moment. Who is Ukrainian? Why Ukraine has a right to exist? How long it's been under threat? I mean, for centuries. But let's talk about your own upbringing well, I don't have any problem with the Ukrainian identity, but I understand that uh, that it is the Western audience that does have the problem with the Ukrainian identity, as all the uh, all you have been hearing or well, learning or reading about that part of Europe had been very much Russo-centric, and uh, what is going on now, I would call also, I would describe also you know, the war of narratives. The subaltern started to speak when attacked with the annihilation war, because Putin's war uh, launched against Ukraine is the war of extermination, and that's his clearly cut goal. Uh, well, that Ukraine should not exist, does not have the right to exist, and uh, that's, you know, Ukrainian, uh, okay, Ukrainian state is a fake state, and, uh, and Ukrainian nation is a non-existent one. Ukrainians are part of the Russian nation or, or Russian Federation uh, or whatever. I'm not going to repeat that. You've been hearing this not for years, 
but for decades, uh, if not for centuries. So, um, like for me, you know, it is it is very hard for me to frame myself into some. I don't know the minor, the intellectual of the minority case, growing up in the big empire with this weird Ukrainian identity, and how come you know you were you know thinking of yourself as of Ukrainian? No, I mean it's not. It does. It is not. It does not look like this from inside. Mm. You know, your parents though were blacklisted during the Soviet purges of the 1970s. Yeah, and it. Was It wasn't until Perestroika that you could actually publish. Just tell us a little bit about that. Well, the story is that it is another unknown chapter of this Central and Eastern European history, the purges against Ukrainian intelligentsia of the 70s and uh, this, you know, 1972-1973 being more than once compared uh, in Ukrainian historiography, in contemporary Ukrainian historiography in the times of independence, to 1937. Uh, you know, in in the awareness of uh, in this uh, you know identity myth of uh, Russian intellectuals and Russian intelligentsia. So our 1972-1973 was the beginning of this you know big KGB operation called Operation Block, which resulted in uh, that was uh, the time you know when uh, when Andropov was the head of the Soviet KGB. And it was him who actually orchestrated this technology of Russification, which shaped Putin's mentality. Everything Putin is doing, you know, it is kind of uh, it is kind of funny for me, you know, to come across uh, this um, cultural shock of my Western friends and discussions whether Putin is mad. I mean, uh, the fact that he behaves not along the lines they were perceiving him does not mean he is mad. It means that you guys were ignorant. You were seeing him in a totally different life. And he is absolutely consistent and persistent in what he is doing. And if you know the Andropov's techniques of the 70s, when Putin was studying in his KGB school. Well, you can immediately recognize the same language, the same discourse, the same tricks, uh, the same technologies. I mean, it is the same, the same oppression strategies that were used against Ukrainian intellectuals, my parents included. Uh, when, well, just supporting Ukrainian identity was punishable in itself. It was uh, dubbed as Ukrainian bourgeois nationalism. And yes, uh, you know, it's very recognizable, you know, this the purges of the 70s are very recognizable on the magnified scale now on the occupied territories of the Ukrainian south, where the Russian troops, when entering uh, the settlement, whatever, I mean, be it a town or a village, uh, well, they start with purges against teachers, 
the teachers of Ukrainian, the teachers of Ukrainian history. They start with taking books uh, away, taking Ukrainian books away from the libraries uh, and destroying books. Uh, there are lists uh, of this, you know, blacklisted books, uh, you know, now uh, published uh, by the Ukrainian intelligence service. And uh, my books, of course, are among them. So as you see, there is a certain tradition. My parents were black in the Soviet Union, blacklisted and banned to be published. And my father lost his job uh, as the, at the university. He was a lecturer of the Ukrainian literature. And uh, my mother was not allowed to defend her doctoral thesis uh, and so on and so forth. And of course, you know myself, I was a prodigy child. I started to write poetry, uh, you know, since my illiterate age, I would say. And uh, back in the 60s, um, when there was still this Khrushchev's saw atmosphere, well, there was an idea to publish uh, the slim volume of this children's, of this child's poems, because uh, they were kind of interesting, you know, not very, not very childish, but, well, just very naive, yes, you know, but not exactly children's poems. Children write differently than the adults do for uh, children. And it was even planned for the publication, but, uh, you know, in 1973, it was thrown away of the publishing house plans. Uh, so I made my, my debut some uh, 12 years later when it was already perestroika mm. and uh, my father was not around. He was dead by then. Let's talk about your first novel, Fieldwork and Ukrainian Sex, just very, very briefly, because that really did catapult you onto the world stage. And as a result of that, I think you've you've lectured at Harvard, you've lectured at Penn, you've lectured, I mean, you've, you've been... Oh, no, no, it was not the result of that. Uh, I came to Harvard and Penn before, and it was actually at Pittsburgh where I was lecturing uh, at the local university, uh, teaching uh, Ukrainian literature and translations, and a funny course called Ukrainian 100, Ukrainian Culture and Civilization, an introductory course to the newly independent state, where I wrote a field work in Ukrainian sex. This whole Ukrainian sex was was written in America, uh, so, uh, so it's not due to, you know, my novel that I came to the States, but it's due to the Ukrainian independence right. when, uh, when again, you know, uh, it was uh, Ukraine appearing on the political map was such a big novelty, you know, that uh, the Western universities needed just, well, someone capable to teach this elementary uh, causes in, uh, in Ukraine. 
Ukrainian uh, in Ukrainian culture, and uh, there were not many of us capable to do this back then in the 90s. And um, could you sum up that book for me? I know. I mean, it's so funny because you you talk as you write in very very long sentences. <laughs> I'm sorry with, about with, that. With brackets, yeah. but I'm going to change that. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to sum up that book for us uh, quite succinctly. <laughs> Uh, well, first I have to. I'm sorry. I um, I didn't want to interrupt you when you were reading your brilliant uh, and very flattering introduction. Uh, but by way of updating, uh, this book by now has been translated into 19 languages, not 16. So wow. th- three more, <laughs> three more languages already, yeah. and more are on their way. More, more are forthcoming. You know, my agent is negotiating with with more publishers abroad. So, though in fact I think it's totally untranslatable, because it is a one-woman monologue, and uh, it's been this, I would say, angry woman's monologue. Uh, My heroine, uh, who is a poet, and who comes to the United States to teach Ukrainian literature at the American University. Right, a little bit of autobiography there. Ukrainian boyfriend, uh-huh. an, an artist. Um, and did you do that in real life? Did you bring your Ukrainian uh, boyfriend? Well, yes, I did, but it is not, it is not actually that... Uh, um, it is not completely autobiographical, not that autobiographical as some critics, you know, were inclined to believe. Of course, uh, I am not Oksana, even though I borrowed her my own name to make it more trustworthy, so to speak. But uh, it is not a confessional book, uh, you know, in the strict sense of the word. So it is it is back then in America, in this, uh, you know, American campus uh, that uh, they... They have this very traumatic relationship, very painful, and uh, in fact, um, you know, the the present day generation of uh, the young readers, the second generation mm-hmm. of this book readers, now reads it as the as the novel on toxic relationship, on the novel on how to recognize uh, an abuser or something like this. Uh, but, uh, of course, it has different layers. It is not... Uh, well, there is a toxic relationship in it, but there is something else and something that really fascinates me. Like, the whole book is a monologue. Um, like, she is working on a paper for some American conf- American Slavic conference or something, and while she is working on that, her mind is getting back all the time with all these flashbacks, you know, from this love story which used to start so wonderfully and in such a romantic way back home and which turned out to be so painful and bad and with bad sex and painful. Uh, so how come, you know, how come? It uh, it could have turned uh, so badly, and uh, every time you know she thinks, um, every time she is trying to explain this story to this imaginary audience. Uh, so it is like like this fiery paper, this angry woman's monologues, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Uh, well, explaining the profound. 
psychological traumas, the collective traumas of the Ukrainians, how they showed up through this particular relationship. And that's where we come to the synthesis of, uh, you know, political and personal, which uh, I more than once have problems to explain, especially... um, Especially, uh, yes, in the West, uh, and especially in uh, to the English-speaking audience, uh, because well, that's that's kind of a different tradition, and they see it, you know, as my particular as my particular writer's characteristic. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it is, maybe not. I don't know. I'm not the one to judge, but that's something that really fascinates me: how history is showing itself on this uh, most elementary everyday level in the ki- without our awareness mm. how we are part of history without our own awareness how our past the traumas the um, you know several generations mm. long traumas affect our daily behavior in the kitchen in the bed uh, in our relationship with our loved ones when we are the most naked uh, but still you know we are the bearers mm. of this past that had shaped us and and this what made this book such a big hit in Ukraine and such a big scandal really it was you know the most recent scandal in in the in, in generations and yes it gave birth i would say yes to a to a new ukrainian prose it was the book of liberation so to speak you know for ukrainian literature and for the whole generation of Ukrainian women, mm-hmm. yes, because for them, you know, there was an influx, I've immediately got an influx, you know, of um, letters um, from my female women readers, uh, age ranging from, I don't know, early 20s to late 60s, who were writing me like, oh, thank you, it's my story. It's my story. And then I realized Uh, It was only then, actually, that I realized to what extent our culture have been generally disbalanced, so to speak. Like the half of the nation was completely muted. That was the first time in their lifetime of those uh, women readers of mine that they read in print about something which prior to that they were only, uh, you know, discussing in the kitchens with their women friends. And now, of course, on the anniversary, the first anniversary of Russia's invasion of the rest of Ukraine, because, of course, we must never forget that other parts of Ukraine had been invaded before. And now in your most recent work, my latest book tour, you are once again explaining Ukrainian culture, Ukrainian feelings to not only your own people, but to us too. This book's come out at the anniversary of Russia's invasion of the rest of Ukraine. And you were away from home during this time. Tell me what you're saying in the book, which hasn't yet come out in English, but will do, that helps us understand how you were feeling and where this goes from here. 
Well, this book has actually come out already in seven languages, translated into seven languages, and it was meant for the Western audience first and foremost. Uh, in fact, that's the first book in my life. Well, and I've written, I think, more than 20 I did ruin some forests. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, but that's the first book in my whole literary career, which was written at the publisher's request. And that was Western publisher's request. Um, more precisely, that was Italian A. Naudi. Uh, they called my agent, my, my international agent, a couple of weeks, uh, you know, after the invasion, uh, after this full-scale invasion, and uh, and they asked for a brochure or a pamphlet, uh, kind of a book-long essay in which, uh, as they said, um, I explain to their audience all the uh, historical and cultural contexts of this war that they have missed. Because, uh, uh, well, I, for most of the, you know, Western media, February 24 came as a rude awakening. Uh, so, it, of, course, of course, it took a while before, um, you know, majority of population got adjusted to the fact that, uh, that the annexation of Crimea and the conflict in Donbass was not something, some, any local conflict conflict that was frozen and uh, something, you know, that was some, well, somewhere there, but my God, you know, this world is full of local conflicts and who can, you know, trace them all. Uh, so it was ignored. Yes, since, uh, you know, the Minsk agreement, since the early 2015, it was completely ignored. And the fact that we in Ukraine, when saying before the war, we, we mean before 2014, because the war had been there all the time. And, uh, and not know, just for, for sort of 30 years, but for 300 years. Uh, and yes, so like, for me, it was a challenge to to find the form in which I... I should have explained at once uh, in uh, 120,000 characters everything that was missed by uh, Western uh, education in Western universities and the curricula of the Western universities uh, for many, many years, for many generations, so to speak. Uh, so I have chosen... Um, you know, to tell the story of the two levels, uh, that is, one chapter is story of the past 30 years, that is, since uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union, or more precisely since 1989, and how the West was duped to believe that they have won the Cold War while the Cold War had been going on for all these 30 years and the restoration of the empire was in preparation, had been in preparation for all these 30 years. And, you know, this technology of, uh, technology of this so-called hybrid wars uh, under, under the auspice of the former KGB leaders renamed as FSB or whatever. So it is a kind of a Graham Greenish 
first story, I would say. Uh, not my favorite type of reading, not to say my favorite type of writing, but I've done my job and I put the puzzle together and that's something I've been, I've been through in my own lifetime, something, you know, of which I was, to which I was a witness. And uh, of course, it is mixed with my personal experience, so it is not, uh, you know, a historical, just a historical essay, but it is a very personal stuff, you know, a mix of memoir and, uh, well, some kind of, you know, historical study, historical or cultural study. And yes, there is this, uh, another chapter, this 300 years long story, the history of uh, Russian Empire and how it was built, how it was modernized and westernized due to the efforts of our forefathers, because Ukrainian part in building up Russian empire was very considerable, and that introduces, uh, you know, a lot of confusion. That explains, um, without understanding that, you know, you won't be able to understand this whole business about... Uh, about these special relations and uh, and this, you know, cousin nations. We were no cousins at all, you know, until the 17th century. We were not even familiar with each other. But the appropriation of this Kiev period, of this Rus period of Eastern European history has been designed by our intellectuals in the 17th century. It was the part of our counter-reformation, so to speak, or rather of our religious war with the Jesuit expansion coming from the West. It was, so to speak, an anti-Polish enterprise of the Ukrainian Baroque thinkers. Uh, it was all designed in our cave, Mohila Academy, our, you know, most renowned university and one of the, the first, you know, Central European mm. universities until now. And yes, that's the language Putin uses still, you know, this language of this orthodox empire, so to speak, going back and taking Jerusalem, taking Jerusalem from the Turks, you know, attacking Ottoman Empire, providing the access to the Black Sea and all this stuff. It is 300 years long and nothing Nothing new had been invented in the meantime in Moscow. They just repeat our thinkers. They repeat Inokenti Gizel, Teofan Prokopovich, Ukrainian thinkers of the 17th century. And that's the exciting story yet to be learned before the Slavic studies in the Western universities become really decolonized. 
Uh, Oksana, this sounds like absolutely required reading for anybody in the West who really wants to understand what's going on in Ukraine. Thank you so much for for talking to us. Uh, You really need to read Oksana Zhabushko's books. My Longest Book Tour is shortly to be published in English. Also, your ad could go here, is out, and many, many more, including uh, fieldwork in Ukrainian sex and a kingdom of fallen statues. Oksana Zabushko, thank you so much for coming to talk to us here on Meet the Writers. Thank you. Thanks also to our production team of Nora Hull and Lillian Fawcett. And you can download this show and previous episodes from our website or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Georgina Godwin. Thank you for listening.